Well, Happy New Year! It's the first time I've seen you in the new year, and my name is Pastor Michael, and I'm glad to uh, welcome you here. Um, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about this whole name change thing. Because you're, you're all dying to know, like, what is going on? Like, what happened to our pastor? Like, who took Pastor Mike? This new guy is Michael. He's got shoes on. What's going on? This is crazy. Uh, and I want to take... Uh, I'll take just a couple minutes and give you some uh, back, because I don't want it to be a, like a distraction or something weird's going on, or weirder than it is, or, uh, or big, but um, here, here's the story behind it. Uh, first of all, my parents called me Michael, right? That's my name, and uh, I love that name. I always loved that name. I always preferred that name, but growing up, you know, it just always made, um, it just felt uncomfortable when people come up, and you know, they always shorten your name. Like if you're Robert, they call you Bob or whatever, you know? And, uh, and so it's always felt sort of like uh, kind of conceited or something. It's like, oh, no, it's really Michael. You know, it's like putting on Michael. And so you just kind of go with it. But those kind of closest friends often would call me Michael. Lynn always calls me Michael. If you're friends with me on Facebook, it's Michael David Yearly. If, if you're uh, following me on Twitter, it's at Michael. It's like what I, what I prefer, right? But it's never been that big a deal. But um, a couple months ago, I felt like, I, I think when God was starting to stir something in my heart, and I'm not sure of this. Uh, it's just kind of like those clouds on the horizon. We'll see. But um, I feel like he's kind of put in my heart that there may come a time and I'll be doing some writing. And so it might be some writing, some blogging, some books or whatever. And, uh, and I know if that time comes, that it'll be, you know, Michael Yearly. So uh, anyway, I, I was uh, going out and I wanted to secure the website, you know, with my name uh, before someone else snagged it. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so uh, I did that, you know, so I got michaelyearly.com. Now, don't go there. There's nothing there. But... Uh, <laughs> But it's just, you know, it's just kind of preparing if God calls me that way, right? So then a friend on staff here who's kind of tech savvy was saying, you know, if you're going to do that, you really need to switch, you know, because it's like when that time comes, you want to have kind of one name and you're known by and all your things say the same thing and all that. And you're like, I don't want to do that. It's so weird. I don't want to And uh, But I knew he was right. And so, so that's what we're doing. Uh, and so here's the thing. If you love me, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you can, if that works for you, I would love it. It'd be a gift to me. If you don't, no big deal. It's not really that big a deal to me. Uh, in fact, uh, Friday night, we had a big life group gathering. A guy comes up. We weren't even talking about this, but a guy comes up. I just want to apologize ahead of time. I'm like, well, what? He goes, because I know you're changing your name, and, and I know I'm going to mess it up. And I'm just like, no, no, it's not that big a deal. So uh, if this is your first time here, uh, we don't do this every week. I don't go to this. Uh, <laughs> Like, I'm going to stick with Michael for a while. I won't be like Moses the next week. And then, you know, it's like, oh, David. Uh, I'm going by my middle name, David, now. Uh, that's, that's just a, but I just didn't want it to be a distraction because sometimes you can think you can read more into it than there is. Like, there's some big switch or something like that. And it's really not like that. So uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's number one. Now, number two, what's much more important, um, is that, you know, a couple times a year we do these initiatives for the poor, two or three times a year. Those of you who've been here, you know this. We, we kind of focus our attention on a major need somewhere around the world, people really hurting, where we can reach out in the name of Jesus and love them well, uh, kind of his hands and feet. And so it might be digging water wells in Africa. It might be farm animals for the poor in third world countries. It could be a million things. But uh, so this, in December, we did this latest one. Our initiative for the poor was this Himalayan joy home. Now, um, if you've been here, you know the story that there's kind of three families at Rocky Peak, three people that God has woven into this, and it fits so much with our Life on Mission uh, series that we're wrapping up today because there are three families. There was Brian and Joyce Sexauer. Remember, they're the family that uh, they were in corporate America and felt like God was calling them to launch a ministry in India, had no idea how to do that, but they've done that. There's now like over 500 small churches, thousands of people have come to Christ. They lead a ministry called Ignite the Nations. And then 
who's a second lady in our church, uh, Karen Wynn. And they, they all still they have regular jobs here. They're all part of our congregation on a weekly basis. Karen Wynn, uh, Karen Wynn uh, designs costumes for Hollywood. She does the Spider-Man costumes and all that. And God put on her heart to start this ministry called Into Focus. And they go into third world countries and share the message of Jesus and do eye exams and create glasses right on the spot so people can't see can see again. And so they, they do that all over the world now. And then uh, this third, uh, and then uh, the third person was a guy named Steve Gers. And Steve went with Karen a couple years ago to go partner with Brian in India to share the gospel and to do guy glass ministry to open up a new area where they'd never gotten to share the gospel. And while he was there, he catches this vision that in India, all these baby girls are just abandoned a million a year because just because they're girls. And he wanted to create a home for them. They could be raised and loved in Jesus' name and become a power in their, their culture and all. And so that's the, the birth of the Himalayan joy home. And that's been our, our, uh, you know, our initiative for the poor. And so to give you some context, the typical initiative for the poor here at Rocky Peak will raise about $30,000. Okay? Uh, last April, our biggest one ever was the Liberian kind of water well that last April, $49,000. A huge amount of money. I, this time, you guys blew me away. $133,000. Isn't that awesome? I was just like, man, the money just kept coming in, and I'm like, no way, no way. Every week, no way, no way. And it's just so awesome. And Steve emailed me this week and said, Mike, with that money, we completely uh, uh, pay off the, the new facility we bought. We can completely refurbish it, and we can staff it with new staff to run for the ministry. We're going to be ready to go. Isn't that awesome? So, um, so I thought it'd be fun today for you to meet the players behind the name. So we're going to have them come out right now. Would you welcome them with me? <laughs> you see right here? Thank <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> wow. Hey, you know what? This is exactly what it's going to be at the judgment of Christ. You know, we're going to be cheering. Like, we're going to say, hey, this is what God did through this person's life. And then we're going to be cheering. You know, it's going to be awesome. So uh, I just want to introduce him to you. I think one of the reasons this has just captured our heart as a church is because we're in this series of Life on Mission. And as a church, what's our motto? Listen and follow, right? We listen and follow where he leads. And, uh, and, and this is what they did. They just listened and followed and know where it's going to lead. And God has just used them. And that's the message for all of us, right? It's just that we don't, so it's just really, really cool. So let me start with, this is Brian and Joy Sexauer right here. They're the, they're the ones that launched uh, this ministry in uh, India. Uh, if you were here, I did a, a message on miracles a couple months ago where Brian prayed over a guy, had no faith at all, that God was going to heal him, cancer, death, and God raised him up, remember, and they led many people to Christ. And that's Brian and Joyce and Karen on the end, Karen Wynn. She, uh, she leads uh, into focus. And by the way, we go down every month to high security prisons in Mexico and do this, but around the world throughout the, the year. And so that's that. And this is Steve and Marianne Gers. And... Uh, they, uh, they just got married last August, and it was so awesome because uh, the, the, the Sunday they got married, uh, they were uh, scheduled to become welcomed as partners in Rocky Peak, and so they came to church first to be welcomed as partners, then they got married in the afternoon, and so it's just so awesome that their priorities right. I was just like so awesome. Anyway, um, 
So $133,000. I wanted to make this a legitimate presentation. I want to give them the check last night and then take it back and give the check and give it back. <laughs> so we actually literally cut three checks for $44,000 plus, and I've got them a third one here. I told them they had to come, all three services, <laughs> to get it. So Steve, here you go. God bless you guys. Right, thanks so much, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you, my blood. Thank, thank you brother. so much. <laughs> All right, uh, now we're going to go into our time of teaching. I want to welcome back our college students from Uganda. Uh, I know a lot of you guys back. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, man, God is on the move here. You know what? Um, this winter, this winter session, we're signing up for life groups right now. Do you know that we had over 300 new people sign up for life groups for winter? It's amazing. It's like God is just doing incredible things. So uh, excited to jump in and wrap up this series. So inside your program, green and white message note sheet. Encourage you to take that out. You guys are all set. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're excited about what you're doing, and we just want to unleash a movement. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see your name honored. Um, we want to see lives transformed, the world changed. And we pray to God as we wrap up this first section of Acts today, of life on mission, we pray that you would come and just give me words to say. I pray as a church, you just unite our hearts together. We'd gather around you, gather around your word under the leadership and the presence and the power of your spirit. You'd speak and you'd lead, you'd heal, you'd do things only you can do, and we would um, be able to live life on mission with and for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we are wrapping up this kind of stage one of this series in the book of Acts. It's called Sent Life on Mission. For those of you who are brand new, uh, welcome, just real quickly, this series is uh, a series uh, uh, that's uh, uh, on the, this longer book in the New Testament called Acts. It's written by a man named Luke. He's a close friend of the Apostle Paul. He's a Jesus follower. He's uh, an ardent student of history. He's a really bright guy, and he does, uh, he's fascinated with the whole movement of Jesus. And so he does some careful research historically, puts together a two-volume set designed to be read together. Uh, on the life and, and teaching of Jesus, and then secondly, on his movement. And the, the first, first volume is called the Gospel of Luke. Second volume is Acts of the Apostles. And so uh, we are, uh, as we've been studying this first section of Acts, uh, that's we've called Sent Life on Mission, uh, we, it's been an amazing ride. I mean, we've watched these, uh, these uh, followers of Jesus who are kind of cowering in fear uh, the, the, when, when Jesus was crucified, transformed in this powerful band of witnesses. Thousands of people have come to Christ. This new community has been birthed in Jerusalem. They're loving one another. They're praying together. They're growing. They're being transformed. They're sharing their lives. They're doing life together. They're eating meals together. They're sharing the message. More and more people are coming. Apostles are, are, are doing miracles. They're bold under persecution. It's just an incredible story. And up to this point, uh, the story has been almost completely an upward trend. Outside of the growing persecution that we talked about last week, that, that it's, just, it's an amazing movement. But today we come to the first internal challenge of this whole movement that really has the power uh, threatening to damage or destroy, de derail the whole movement of Jesus. And we all have challenges in our life, don't we? You have challenges in your life. I've got challenges. Churches have challenges. And when these challenges come, they threaten to derail us and get us off mission. So we're not living life on mission. And so today we want to talk about that. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called The Challenge, Cultural Conflicts. And before we jump into Acts 6, um, I want to just give you some background. So in the early church, the early movement of Jesus, uh, 
the first Christians were all Jewish, but they were coming from a culturally Jewish, kind of Hebraic, culturally conservative Jewish background. Most of these Jews had grown up in Israel, like the apostles. Uh, They had grown up speaking Aramaic as their native language. They were kind of culturally very Jewish. As the movement began to expand in these opening months and then the first couple years, uh, more and more Jews in Jerusalem and surrounding areas start coming to Jesus, but they're, they're coming from a more culturally diverse background. They're coming from uh, what we call a Hellenistic or Greek background. So these appear to be Jews that, for the most part, uh, probably grew up outside of Israel, somewhere in the Roman culture, uh, Greco-Roman culture, and then immigrated to Israel to be in the motherland, right? So just like today, people will leave around the world and move to Israel to be there. And so, of course, they're coming in with a more Greco-Roman culture. Very likely, they spoke uh, Greek as their their native language, and they bring different traditions and different values. And so these two groups are two very different groups culturally. And what we're going to see today is there's a culture clash. And this happens in churches, right? When people come together from different kinds of backgrounds, there's uh, ethnic or racial or socioeconomic or political, whatever, you, you bring people together and sometimes it leads to a clash. And there's going to be a major clash. And the clash is going to rise out of a, a problem concerning uh, widows. So in the ancient world, widows were very vulnerable. There's no 403Bs, there's no social security, there's no life insurance. So if you're a widow, and remember, many widows become widows young because a lot of people will die young. Uh, and widows would, yeah, yeah they become widows young because their husbands would die young. Um, that because of that, um, that uh, if you didn't have a family to take care of you, you could be destitute, uh, headed for poverty, even worse, be you know, sold into slavery, prostitution, or whatever. And so in Jewish culture in general, they would kind of often take care of widows. And in the early church, same was true. And so what's going to happen today is that there's going to be a complaint by the Greek Jews, the Hellenistic Jews that are probably more liberal coming from outside the country. They're going to come to the apostles. And it would appear to us that at this point, the apostles have been overseeing this internal ministry, kind of social welfare for the widows. Um, That we learned back in chapter 4 that when anyone was poor in the early church, that people would sell their property and they'd bring the proceeds to the apostles who would distribute it. So it seemed like up to this point, apostles are overseeing this ministry. But here's the thing. The church is growing rapidly. And, sure, and growth always brings challenges. And so it's as it's growing, things are starting to fall through the cracks. Widows are starting not to be cared for. And the, the claim is, the accusation is, by these Greek leaders, Greek Jewish leaders, is that, hey, you're prejudiced. You're not taking care of our widows. Uh, our widows are not getting their fair share. And so this is a huge issue because, remember, what's drawing people to the church is this amazing love community. Imagine a community that's now split up into two communities. It's because of racial differences or cultural differences, kind of broken up. Imagine that. Uh, Imagine, worse though, if the apostles continue to try to oversee this personally so it doesn't happen, they stop teaching, they stop preaching, they stop praying, then the leadership will get off track and the the whole movement will suffer. So it's really a big challenge. It's got the potential to threaten to derail the whole, the whole movement. And so it's fascinating how they resolve it. And so some great life lessons for us about how to resolve challenges that come into our life. And so there in your note sheet, you have the section, uh, the challenge, the cultural uh, conflicts. And we're going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. If you've got your apps, go ahead and turn them on. Cover the seven verses and uh, wrap up this first section in Acts. So in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, 
Two things I want to point out there. Number one, notice when this problem, this challenge is going to emerge. It's when the church is growing rapidly. One of the things we're going to see today is that whenever churches grow rapidly, it always leads to challenge. Always does. And we're going to come back and talk about it later. Second thing, I want you to notice what Luke calls the first Christians. What's he call them? Do you see them there? What's the term he uses? Yeah, good. Uh, three of you. That's awesome. Uh, disciples. Yeah. Okay, disciple. He calls them disciples, right? And this is interesting because over the course of my life, and I don't know to what degree it's prevalent now, but in some situations, that in Christian circles, we'll talk about disciples as if they're the serious followers of Jesus. Like we got Christians, they're, you know, they're just kind of going through the motions. But they got disciples. Like I don't want to just be a Christian, I want to be a disciple. But what I want you to catch in the early church, there was only one kind of Christian. That's disciples. And a disciple means a follower of. That's why here at Rocky Peak, we call ourselves Christ followers. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Jesus had disciples. A disciple is someone who's like following the rabbi and not just mentally agreeing with their teaching, but they're following their whole lifestyle to become like the, the teacher. In fact, Jesus said, you'll study in your life group uh, study this week. He said that the, the disciple when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. The way we often sit here at Rocky Peak, the whole point of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. And three times today, Luke will call these first Christians disciples. That's what we're called to be. And so, uh, so in, the, in those days, verse 1, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, this is the Greek-speaking Jews, the more liberal Jews outside the country, the Hellenistic Jews, they came and they complained, very strong word. In the Greek, this is the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we call it the Septuagint, that was the kind of the common Bible of the early church, just like we use the NIV as a translation. The early church used, for the most part, the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, this word for complain here is the same word that was used over and over when the nation of Israel came out of bondage from Egypt, and they murmured against God. They grumbled in the wilderness. Remember that? So strong word. And so they've got a big problem on their hands. So the Hellenistic Jews, they're complaining, they're grumbling, against the Hebraic Jews because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, whether that was true or not, or just their perception, we don't know, but that was their perception. So the 12, the apostles, they gather all the disciples together. Notice disciples again. Now, uh, I'm sure that the disciples, I mean, the, the apostles, I'm sure they went off, had a meeting, got the whiteboard out, prayed about this, sought God. It's kind of giving us a short version here. But the end, the end of that is they're going to get everyone together and they're going to make a suggestion. Here's what we suggest of how we solve this problem. And so they said, uh, it would not be right uh, for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, the word for ministry of the Word of God will later, that word ministry will later be defined in verse 4 by the word service in the Greek. So literally, what they're saying here is it wouldn't be right for us to give up the serving of the Word of God in order to serve tables. And here's the point. The one I want you to catch is we're all called to be servants, right? But we have different callings in our life. And the body of Christ thrives when everyone is operating in their calling, in their area of strength. So if, like, like if you have like gifts of, say, I have gifts of teaching, right? I really need to be focused on gifts of teaching, could I, uh, could I do other things? Yeah, I could do other things, right? But my greatest contribution will be leadership and teaching. 
You have been gifted to serve by God in unique ways. Can you do other things? Of course you can, but you will make your greatest impact in your area of strength. And so whether your, uh, your ministry is said this in the spectrum, serving with the word, or this in serving on tables or somewhere in between, what the apostles are not saying is our job is better, more important than this job. They're just saying that our job is unique. God's given it to us. If we don't do it, no one can. And this is the whole movement will suffer. And so I want you to catch that. So uh, in verse 3, so they said, so here's our suggestion. Brothers and sisters, why don't you choose seven men, of course, seven being the number of perfection, from among you who are known to have two qualifications. First, they want to be full of the Spirit, and secondly, wisdom. So he says, well, you, you need to, he said, you know, remember there are thousands. See, this is why I don't tie my, this is why I don't wear shoes. I tie, I'm doing my tie. So, so irritating. Uh, so uh, anyway, so they, they said two qualifications. Uh, number one is they, th- they need to be men full of the Spirit. Uh, in other words, they need to be drinking deeply of the Holy Spirit, filled, overflowed. They need to be people that, they know how to listen and follow the leading of the Spirit. These are men who are being transformed by the Spirit. They have the character of Jesus. These are people that are, we call it later, Paul will call it the fruit of the Spirit, like, the, uh, like Jesus-like character, right? And he said, and secondly, you need wise men. You need people with leadership gifts, wisdom gifts, because they're going to have a lot of tough decisions. They're going to need that. So he said, this is what we suggest. And uh, they said, we'll turn the responsibility over to them. And so apparently, you know, up to this point, they seem to be leading it themselves. And uh, so what I want you to catch is up to this point, they've been leading. And that's been fine. It's not like above them or something. They've been leading this ministry. And it's been going well. But all of a sudden, as the church is growing, there's more and more widows. There's more and more people to teach. There's more and more problems to solve. And their plate is getting too full. And so things are starting to fall through the cracks. And this is what happens when a church grows. The old structures don't work anymore. And so what they're going to do is they're going to do a reorg of the organization. They're going to do a redesign of the organization. And they're going to raise up a whole new level of leadership. And so um, they said this will, verse 4, will give us a chance to, to focus on our primary contribution, which is prayer and the ministry of the word. And so everyone loves this idea. So the proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose seven men. And the first two are going to actually play a very important part later in, uh, in our next series. And by the way, what we're going to be doing is we're doing, uh, Lord willing, an uh, eight-week series on priorities. Then we're coming back doing, and we're jumping back into Acts. And we're going to do, we're going to pick up where we left off. The next series is called Into the Danger. And so we'll do that two weeks before Easter and then kind of move on through that. And so um, we'll see these two, two names again right after, uh, uh, kind of right before and then after Easter. But so the first one they mentioned is Stephen. He's a man full of God's grace and power. Uh, and I'm in verse 8. I'm already in the next series. All right. Uh, so we're in verse, uh, verse 6, I guess, um, verse 5. Proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, he's going to play a big role. And then five guys that we're never going to hear about again. A guy named Procurus, because he's in charge of procuring the food. No, just kidding. Um, and Nicanor and Timon and uh, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch. Notice Nicholas is a convert to Judaism. So he's not even a Jew, he's a Gentile, but he's converted to Judaism, and so he's become a follower of Jesus now. So these seven guys, and notice there's the, all these Greek, all these names are very, uh, they're, very um, they're very Greek, you know, like Stephan, uh, Stephen's really Stephanos, right? So it's very, it's, they're all Greek, and so um, some scholars believe that they chose seven Greek guys from the minority to oversee this ministry and make sure the minority. But the thing that we're not so sure about that because many of the Hebrew guys are going to have Greek names too, you know, like Paul and Saul, Peter and Cephas, things like that. Uh, Andrew is a Greek name. 
And so, um, and so we're not really sure. But anyway, they choose these guys, and then uh, they present them to the, to the apostles, and they, they pray, they lay their hands on them, probably a prayer of blessing, a prayer of commissioning, but also maybe a prayer of anointing, that God will release new power, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and so now we come to the end of this first section, and this, is the, this next verse, verse 7, is the first of six, count them, six uh, summary statements in Acts. So uh, think of this like a huge novel that it maybe have you know, like 52 chapters or something, but you have part one, part two, part three. Acts is designed like that. There are six summary statements where uh, you kind of get to the end of a section where, where Luke stands back, kind of summarizes what's going on, and it's, uh, they're always a, sort of a transition point. They're kind of a, 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 kind of a little sign that, hey, we're, we're changing topics now. That's why we're wrapping up the series here today. And so he says, so, so here's what goes on. He says, so the word of God spread. Notice this. This problem they had, the, the, had the potential of derailing the whole church. They went right after it. They resolved it. And because of that, the movement stayed on track. That life on mission stayed on track. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples, notice the third time we've, we've been referred to that way, in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So the church then continues to grow rapidly. And even a large number of priests became obedient. And this is kind of surprising because up to this point, you kind of get the feel that like traditional, the Jewish world wasn't really open to the movement of Jesus that much. But what Luke's letting us in on is what he's told us so far is it's more the religious hierarchy that was very anti this new movement. But there were several just common everyday priests. I think of Zechariah, remember from Christmas, the father of John the Baptist. Uh, he was a priest, and, and men like him who just loved God and all were very open to Jesus, and, and they were coming. And I'm sure this created tension in the religious hierarchy because you have these priests now defecting. And what we're seeing in these first six chapters is we, what we saw just as a small little cloud of persecution begin, you know, way back starting in chapter three or four, is now it's getting bigger and bigger. And to change the metaphor, it's, it's like the friction is increasing and, and everything's in place, and all we need now is a match, and, and this thing's going to go up in smoke, and persecution's going to blow into a forest fire, and that's exactly what's going to happen in week one of our next series, Into the Danger. And so, so that matches, we're going to meet that match, and his name is Stephen, uh, in our next series. But for today, as we wrap up this series, I want to focus on this topic of challenges. Challenges, your life challenges, my life, how we meet challenges, uh, and especially as a church, but also personally, and so there in your note sheet, you have a section. Somewhere. It's just shoes. Um, it's called the challenge, Three Life Lessons. And so what I'm going to do is highlight three life lessons that flow out of this, this passage that kind of speak to us in our life of, if we want to stay life on mission, your life, my life, and church, uh, what we need to understand. So three big picture principles. Number one, the first thing that I want you to catch is that every church has challenges. Uh, you're never going to face a church that's perfect. You're never going to be part of a church that doesn't have challenges. Sooner or later, every church is going to have challenges. Now, this is surprising to some people. Um, often you'll run into someone that says, you know, I used to go to church. I call them uh, de-church people, right? I used to go to church, um, but uh, I don't need more because churches are so full of hypocrites or problems or whatever. Uh, you find you run into someone and say, well, I, yeah, I have my own relationship with God. I don't need part of a church. Churches are just so hypocritical or they're just, so, they're just a mess. Or if there was a church like the early church that didn't have problems, I'd be part of that, but it's just like, it's not so complex now and it's all about this, it's all about that. And so they, 
they complain. And, and I get this, right? I get it. Because uh, I know many of you, you've been in churches where you've been hurt deeply, deeply wounded. And uh, when you've been deeply wounded by people that you trust, um, there is a real, it's like, you know, fool me once, uh, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? It's like there's a sense of like, man, I put my hand in that fire before. I'm, I'm not going back. And, and I get that. And we, many of us have been in situations like, so you can understand that. And, and we can understand it in light of Acts 1 through 5. Because this is an amazing story. This amazing account, these first five chapters, I mean, this is an amazing time. I mean, God is on the move. People are coming to Christ. Lives are being transformed. People are loving one another, praying for one another, even selling property to take. Like, who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? In fact, that's why we're studying this. Because we want to say, what does it really look like to follow Jesus in our day? And we, what, what does it take to, to recreate the church of Jesus like that? But what I want you to catch, and we'll come back to this later, but I think we often miss, is that when we read the first five chapters of Acts, what we're reading is an account of the honeymoon of the church of Jesus. And already in this honeymoon, cracks are beginning to emerge in the foundation. Like, I won't ask for a show of hands, but it'd be interesting for those of us who are married here to say, hey, uh, in your honeymoon, were there any things that started to surface there that didn't seem that big at the time that became big later on? <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, hey, man, you're not asking me to raise my hand, but I'm telling you anyway. I'm going on record right here, right now. Yeah, yeah. And right, right here in these opening chapters, we're beginning to see cracks in the foundation. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. A couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 5. And uh, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, this couple that sell a piece of property, bring the money to give to the poor, give it to the apostles, right? Beautiful thing to do. The problem was they lied about how much they sold the property was. So you've got um, church, you've got finances, you've got hypocrisy, you've got church. Ring a bell? Um, so, uh, so, so it's like, okay, so... You, but you go, hey, but that's just one couple. I mean, the whole point of that story is that most people weren't like that. They're super generous and all. They're just like the one exception, right? Right. Uh, but when we come to chapter 6 today, we come to a whole different level of problem. This problem is huge. This problem has the potential of splitting the church down the middle right as it's getting born. And this would have been disastrous if they hadn't resolved this. It would have been disastrous if the apostles gave in to the public opinion said, okay, we'll jump back in and we'll do this. We're sorry. We'll stop teaching so much. We'll stop preaching so much. We're, we're so sorry. Uh, we'll solve this ourselves. We'll keep doing it. We'll give more time to this. That would have been disastrous. And so what we're seeing here is the beginning of the first problems. Now, this is not going to be the end of our problems, though, because as we go through, um, as we go through, as we come back in our next series in Acts, what we're going to see as the movement of Jesus begins to spread from Jerusalem out into the Samaritan and eventually Gentile world, then we're going to see two things happen. Number one, we're going to see the power of Jesus unleashed like we've seen here in the first five chapters. We're going to see lives change, people coming to Christ from increasingly pagan backgrounds. Amazing, th amazing things are going to happen. Miracles are going to happen. It's an amazing story, right? But we're also going to see the planting of many churches 
that later in the New Testament, the apostles who started those churches will be writing letters to. And so as we go through them, we will be looking at the letters. And what we will see time and time again is one of the primary reasons the apostles like Paul and James and uh, Peter and John are writing to these churches is because of problems, challenges. Uh, and so uh, let me give you a couple examples. Um, I think probably a lot of us here know about the Church of Corinth, right? So the Church of Corinth, I want you to think about this. The Church of Corinth was started by the Apostle Paul. First one in town to share Jesus. People come to Christ. He started church. He stays at Corinth, catches longer than any other place that we know of other than Ephesus. So he stays over a year and a half. And uh, so he starts a church founded by Paul, but within a short period of time, the church is kind of going off the rails. Now why? Because when people come to Christ, we experience Christ. There's a radical life transformation. The Holy Spirit comes in us. Life is changed, right? But we also bring our baggage with us. Have you noticed that? We bring our dysfunction. We bring our families. <laughs> we bring our old opinions. We bring our old habits. We bring our old values. We bring, our old, we bring it all in, the body of Christ. And so that creates problems. And so Paul leads and he writes back. So let me do a flyby of the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians. Chapters 1 through 4. The church is ready to split over which pastor they like the best. Boy, glad we don't have to deal with that today. Uh, chapter 5. Chapter 5, there's open sexual immorality. Everyone knows it, but they're not doing anything. <laughs> Good thing we have to deal with that. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, chapter 6, they're suing one another and taking each other to court in front of pagans. Chapter 7, there are some in the church saying, hey, you know what, we used to just sleep around all the time. Now that we're Christians, we probably shouldn't sleep with anyone, even our spouses. We probably shouldn't be married. God's probably anti-sex. Uh, uh, chapter 8 through 10, aren't you glad they were wrong? Chapter 8 through 10, <laughs> cut that out of the Bible. Chapter 8 through 10, uh, they're fighting over uh, what, what kind of food to buy in the supermarket. Hey, I think I should take hey, double coupon. You know, this food's been sacrificed to idols, half price, all great. And someone else is like, are you kidding? It's got idol cooties. What are you doing? I thought you were a Christian. So they're fighting over that. Chapter 11, they're coming to church and doing their potlucks. The rich are bringing tons of food and alcohol. And they're getting drunk before they take communion. And the poor people are like starving. Like what happened to the church of Jerusalem where you're sharing your stuff, you know? And they get to chapter 12 through 14. They're arguing over spiritual gifts. Which ones are most important? We got this one. You don't. Oh, you're nothing. I get to chapter 15, they're like, yeah, we're not sure the resurrection really happened. Are you kidding me? This is the gospel. Like, what went wrong with you? You're crazy, you know? And so you think, well, 2 Corinthians will get better. It doesn't. 2 Corinthians is even better, right? And you say, well, that's just the church of Corinth. They're the problem kid. We all know that. They're the black sheep of the family. No, it's not the way. Galatians are ready to leave the gospel and, and buy into a works-based salvation. In Ephesus, Paul's got to write to Timothy later on and tell him, that, hey, stop the teachers that are doing the, teaching all these myths and genealogies that are kind of leading astray. The church of Colossae, they got teachers there coming in teaching this weird kind of Gnostic Greek doctrine wrapped in Judaism and all this kind of fake rules of the legalism you have to do. In Philippians, they're, arguing, they're having interpersonal conflict that's there clearly in the text that Paul's having to deal with. In Hebrews, the Jews are ready to completely forsake Jesus and deny Jesus as Christ and go back to their old uh, synagogue so they'll stop being persecuted. Like when someone tells me, I wish I could be part of the early church. Wow. 
I'm like, have you read anything about the early church? Right? Amazing time of God moving in power, but problems too, right? Issues, challenges. And when someone says that, what they're really saying is that I want to go back and be part of Acts 1 through 5. I've read Acts 1 through 5, and that's the early church. And that's what, I, that's what a church should be, and that's the church I want to be. And I, if that's not like that, I don't want to be part of it. But what they miss is that scholars would agree, that scholars would, and we're not sure exactly the time frame of Acts 1 through 5, but most scholars would agree it's probably somewhere between six months and two years. It's the very beginning of, of the story, right? And so some of you are married, you've been on honeymoons, right? And typically for most couples, not all, I know some of you had a disaster, but for most couples, honeymoons are really fun times, right? There's no kids at that point. Yeah, uh, there's uh, <laughs> if you've done this the right way, you're enjoying sex for the first time together. It's only free time, free time, sleep in, have sex, go on walks, eat great food. Like, what's not to like, right? This is awesome, right? So it'd be like someone saying, I want to be married one day, but I just want to stay on the honeymoon forever. Well, good luck. Right? Even if you didn't work, the honeymoon would go away. Right? And so when someone says, I want to be part of a church, I just want to be part of a church with any challenges or problems, it's like, we're just kind of missing the boat. That every church is going to face challenges. Every, because when we come to Jesus, we bring with us our baggage. And if you find a perfect church and join it, it will now be messed up because you're there. Right? And then like, Man, this was awesome until you came. It's like the presence of God was thick in this place, and then you came, it's been different ever since. And, um, so catch this, the difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church. The difference between a healthy life group and an unhealthy life group. The difference between a healthy ministry team and an unhealthy ministry team is not that one has challenges and one doesn't. The difference is that in a healthy church, they move towards challenges rapidly to resolve them in a healthy way. In an unhealthy church, ministry team, life group, they ignore, pretend, run, hide, sweep under the carpet. You see? That's the difference. And so the first, the first lesson is this, and so I, I just want to challenge you because if, if you don't understand this, you'll get thrown off track. You'll go to a church and have a horrible experience, and you'll think, I'm never doing that again. You'll be part of a small group, and something bad happened, well, I'm not going to be in a small group again. Because we kind of expect that if God's really moving, then there shouldn't be problems. There will be. There will be. Right? And so, so we can't let that derail us. We have to keep some perspective. Now, number two. Number two is that growth creates challenges. And this is such an important principle uh, for all our lives in a, in a variety of ways, but especially as a church, um, that whenever an organization grows, like some of you lead a business, some of you own a company, some of you lead a community group, 
Um, some of you lead a lot. When any, anytime any organization grows fairly rapidly, it creates challenges. It's just the way it is. And the reason is, is because the old systems that you had in place for how you solve problems are being overwhelmed. They, they're just no longer working anymore. They worked at one level, but they don't work now. And so uh, at the growth exposes an issue that needs to be addressed. And that's why it's so important. I want you to catch this. If you go back to chapter 6 and verse 1, That it says, in the days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, that's the first time that Luke has said anything like this in six chapters. The question is, why does he introduce this account of this challenge that had the, the potential of derailing the whole movement? Why did he introduce it that way? I think he's giving us context. He's saying, hey, this is awesome, the story I'm telling you about the rapid growth. It's awesome, but at a certain point, it surfaced some problems. At a certain point, there, was, there were challenges, and there were big ones. And this was one of the biggest ones that had the, the chance to, to threaten. And this is just the way it is. Um, so let's talk about, like, in a church context. It's true in any context. Let's talk about it in a church context. When a church grows rapidly, it creates tension. It creates friction. It creates Because the way that you used to solve problems doesn't work anymore. Look at it in this situation. Before this, uh, before this problem emerged, um, you had the apostles who apparently were overseeing this ministry themselves. Now, they start with 3,000, right? On the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people come to Christ. Most of those people are going to be in families. How many would be widows that don't have a family? Because that's we're not talking about widows with families. Widows that don't, I don't know. I don't know how many. 10 of them? 20? I don't know. You know I don't know how many. But pretty soon it's 5,000, right? Then it's pretty soon 7,000. And as the church is growing, the number of widows is increasing to, to stay in touch with. But on top of that, the ministry responsibilities is, is, uh, is increasing. I mean, the apostles are teaching every day in the, the temple courts. We've heard that before. Uh, there are now persecutions kicking in. They're having to deal with that. they got crisis there. Uh, I'm sure there are other needs, problems that are emerging. People have questions or whatever. And so they're just growing. And in the, pro catch this, in the process of the growth, it would appear that the apostles were less in touch with the needs of the widows. Now catch this, they didn't want to be less in touch. It's not like they knew this was going on and things were falling through the cracks and they just didn't care. They just didn't know. And you've all been in situations like this, Right? Some of you, when you went from two kids to three kids, things start falling through the cracks, right? It's like, hey, you know, I thought you had them. No, I thought you had them. Well, we're outnumbered now. I know, one got away, you know? Uh, and so you, the old system was great. I got one, you've got one. We're good, you know? And now it's like, they outnumber us. How are we going to solve this, you know? I think we need to buy one of those. Oh. Anyway, uh, those dog things. Uh, <laughs> growth does this. And so before they had a great system, it was working. But now the problem, the, as, as the growth was happening, which was awesome, people are coming to Jesus, it's creating uh, weak links in their system. It's creating problems. And this is what always happens. Growth always creates challenges. And here's what I want you to catch. Usually... There is a gap between the rise of the problem, the recognition of the problem, and the 
resolution of the problem. Like think in a marriage context. Uh, usually, once you're irritated with your spouse because something's fallen through the cracks, you realize you've been irritated for a while but didn't realize it. Like, it's taken a while. Like it's the third time this has happened. The first two, you just come, and, uh, this is becoming a pattern, right? It, it takes a while from the rise of the problem to wreck it, we got a problem, to that, how do we solve this problem, the resolution? And so the apostles, they didn't even know this was a problem. I cannot believe that Peter and John are like, yeah, those Greek widows, they're going out without food. Oh, too bad. Who cares? They're Greeks. You know, it's like, that's not the way it is. It's like, they love these people. They, they care about them. They don't want things to fall through the cracks. They, 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 love, they, they love this whole church, right? But they just weren't aware of it. And so there's a rise of a problem. Then there comes a point where the problem is brought forward by the leaders, a recognition of the problem, and then they have to solve it. And he doesn't give us a timeline here, but I'm just sure the apostles are going to go away. They're going to pray. They're going to whiteboard it out. What can we do? What do you think we should do? How do we solve this? They're going to come back with it, and then they come back with a solution. So there's a, there's a timeline here. And here's the danger. The danger for us is that when we're in a fast-growing organization, or like in a church that's growing fast, the danger is, is there's always a gap between the rise of the problem and the resolution of the problem. And catch this, during that gap, real people get hurt. Real things fall in the cracks. Leadership often doesn't even know. They don't even realize it's, it's going on. Right? But there's a gap. And here's a temptation. When you find yourself in the gap, it's really tempting to give in to grumbling. And this is what I call the grumble gap. And this is what happened to the nation of Israel. That's why I pointed out the word earlier. Remember, God rescues them from slavery in Egypt. They've been there for 430 years, enslaved by one of the superpowers of their day. Not a chance of getting away. No hope in sight of anything but a life of slavery. And God comes, and through an amazing miracle, through Moses' ten plagues, releases them, wipes out a large party of the super party, a large part of the superpowers uh, army in the Red Sea, and sets them on their, their path to be a new nation of free people. And within two to three months of that, they are grumbling and wanting to take, get new leadership and get rid of Moses and go back to Egypt. Why? Because this new situation is creating problems. And so what are their problems? Well, they have no food and no water. In the wilderness, there's two main problems, right? No meat, no water. That's why they're grumbling. Now, would you agree with me? Those are significant problems, food and water. Yeah. And do they need to be addressed? Absolutely. They need to be addressed. They need to be surfaced. But the way you surface it is you don't come against Moses, the guy who just led you out, and start grumbling against the Lord and saying, who is the Lord? And he's forgotten about us. And he doesn't care about us. And, and who made you in charge anyway? And, you know... It's like, it's kind of obvious, you know, most people don't split Red Seas. The guy who does that is probably in charge, right? <laughs> uh, you see what I'm saying? And it's, it's so tempting to miss the big picture because of the friction of what we're feeling. And this is, uh, this is exactly what's happening in the early church. I mean, this is a time unprecedented in human history. People are coming to Christ left and right. What did we read last week in chapter 5? Peter's walking on the street. There's so many miracles going on. People are just trying to put people out to catch a shadow in hopes that, that maybe they'll get a miracle. I mean, it's an amazing time. And yet the midst of that, the whole movement is threatened to be derailed by people in the grumble gap of going, yeah, but we're not getting our food. Okay? So this is the temptation. 
to lose the big picture of what is this all about. Now you say, why are you bringing this up? Uh, I'm not bringing it up because there's any grumble gap here at Rocky Peak. One of the lessons I've learned as a leader is it's so important to teach leadership to a church before you need it. Like you don't wait till there's a problem to teach principles. You teach principles long in advance. So when you get there, everyone understands here's where we are and here's how we solve them. When I'm dealing with our elders, you know, we, we, we meet with our elders. We, we, we read books together. We study together. We learn together. Why? Because when the, the crisis comes, it's too late to learn. You have to make decisions. That you have to learn in advance. You build a team in advance. You build a brotherhood in advance. You build a philosophy of ministry in advance. So when the time comes, you know you're unified. This is how we deal with this. You see? Then I like to do the same thing with the church. So we are an incredibly sweet time as a church. God is blessing this church. People are growing. People are coming to Christ. Lives are being transformed. Relationships are being formed. We are growing in our passion for Jesus. A heart of obedience is growing in this church. Worship is growing. Outreach is growing. Love for the community is growing. It is a time of blessing in this church. So this point has nothing about today. I'm preparing us because if God continues to bless this church, and if this year we grow like we grew last year, and that happens, we will hit friction points. We will hit points where the ways we used to deal with issues and resolve them don't work. The way we used to structure things don't work. This thing's not working. And you may be caught in the middle and tempted to forget the big picture and fall into the grumble gap, just like Israel did. Just like, and what I'm saying is, is that when problems emerge, when challenges emerge caused by growth, we need to thank God for those. Then when this is what we've prayed for, this is what we've given for, this is what we sacrificed, our vision is that there would be churches in this area that love Jesus and are helping people in experience and lives be transformed, and that our influence here from Rocky Peak will go out to the four valleys that we serve and around the world, and it's happening. And we want to see people come to Christ and their lives being changed and being transformed and healed. Isn't that what we're about? Isn't what the movement of Jesus is about? And when that happens, when God starts doing that, it brings pressure points. And it's so easy to miss it and to suddenly go, well, Man, you know, whatever the issue is, this pastor didn't return my call. Well, maybe it's because there's 18 new believers that do. You know, you would, hey, we need to restructure this ministry. I don't like reading, so I like this pastor being over it. You know, it's funny. I read this passage with the pastor's eyes, and I'm telling you, can you imagine this? I'm sure they had pushback. If you're one of the widows and you're used to being waited on by Peter, James, and John, Probably Procurus, Nicanor, and Stephen are not going to cut it. <laughs> and it's like, who's these new guys? I can't even pronounce their names, you know? Oh, the Greek guys, they came from like, you know, whatever, you know? They came from uh, Dalmatia. Uh, like crazy, you know? It's like, I, I, you see what I'm saying? It creates change. And so I'm just preparing us now that you understand that as the movement of Jesus grows and expands, it always will raise new challenges but here's the thing, with God with us, we can move towards it, we can resolve it, and the movement continues to thrive, and people are taken care of and loved, and so on. 
We just have to be careful that we don't lose focus in the grumble gap. Now, number three, this one's going to apply to pretty much everyone in this room, and it's a powerful principle that leaders tackle challenges. One of the marks of good leadership, strong leadership teams, is they tackle challenges. They don't run from challenges. They don't pretend they're not there. They don't ignore them. Um, They don't uh, uh, get defensive. They face challenges. And you see it in this uh, passage. One of the things I I love in this passage is how the the apostles move right at this. Remember I said one of the marks of a healthy church is you move, or a healthy life, you move towards problems. And you see that here. I want you to catch this. I've made a big point of this throughout that, that the best we can tell, the apostles were over this ministry at this point of feeding the poor, right? Feeding these widows. And so when the Hellenistic Jews come and complain, who are they complaining against? They're really complaining against the apostles. They're, they're kind of saying, and what they're, they kind of read between the lines, it feels like there's an accusation of prejudice. Hey, are, you're not caring about our widows. You don't care about our people. You only care about your own widows, and you're not really doing this well. And it'd be so easy for the apostles to get defensive or to say, oh, that's not our heart at all. Whatever thing is, we're not doing that or that's not really a problem. But what I love is they move right towards it. They don't deny there's a problem. They say, hey, obviously there's a problem. We're sorry about that. We need to fix that problem. And they move towards it and they assess it and they pray about it and they come up with a plan and they present the plan and they execute the plan and everyone's needs are met. And here's the thing I want you to catch. When God puts you in a place of leadership, one of the most important job descriptions of a leader is you're the chief problem solver. And many times people think, oh, I want to be in leadership because I see all the fun parts of it. That's not why we need leaders. The reason we need leaders is because we have problems. That's part of the core job description of a leader is a problem solver. So let me talk about your life. Some of you are single right now. Leadership starts with leading ourselves well, not being in denial about the issues in our life that need to be fixed, right? That starts for all of us. Some of you are married. If you're married, as a husband, it's your job to lead your wife well. And that means when there's a problem in your marriage, you take responsibility for it. I've talked about this before. But I see it in nine times out of ten in troubled marriages. You know who's taking responsibility for the, to fix it? It's the wife. The wife is reading the books. The wife is listening to the tapes. The wife is talking to her friends. The wife is praying for God's intervention. The wife is checking out uh, counselors. You see? It's all backwards. Uh, as parents... Sometimes you have a, a child, and they're, you can sell, they're on a troubled path. They're not where they're supposed to be. It's very tempting just to say, you know, well, I'm sure it'll all work out, and to put your head in the sand, and to turn away. When everyone around you, you know, that kid's a problem. You got a discipline problem with that kid. You got an attitude problem with that kid. They're on the wrong friends, wrong, wrong, they're on the wrong track. You need, to, you need to do something. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, I don't care if you don't know what to do. You need to do something. You need to... You need to say, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to move towards it and figure it out. It's very tempting when we're in leadership to ignore problems, to pretend they're not there, to get defensive, to ignore, to run away, right? One of the chief responsibilities. And so some of you, some of you lead ministry teams. Some of you lead a a life group. You know, some of you, you can have a life group this session, 
and you can have a sense that someone in your life group is living in sexual sin. You know, and what you don't do is say, well, I'm just going to start praying about that, and that's going to be my, what I do. I pray about that. I'm going to pray that God solves it. It's not God's job to solve it. It's your job to solve it. God has put you there to solve it. God's not going to solve problems. He's not going to solve your marriage without you involved. Yeah? God would just heal our marriage. I don't do it with my wife. We just, we just heal her. In fact, deliver her. Deliver her from evil. Um, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Right? No, no, no. No. God has put us in charge of the planet. We were created to rule. He will help us rule. He will not rule for us. You see? And so when you're in, a, you're in a ministry team and there's conflict between two members, you just stand back and watch that happen. You get involved. Hey, what's going on here? I can sense the friction. It's been going on for a couple months and you guys aren't working. What's, what's going on here? See? When you run a company, it's your job. The reason God's put you in a place of leadership and given you that business is to be the chief problem solver. You need to respond. You see, this is what it means to be in leadership. And what I love about this, this uh, account is that these apostles were so wise that they moved right towards it. And catch this, they moved, they solved the problem in alignment with their core values. And this is so critical. Sometimes we just want to solve problems, but in a way that violates everything we believe or our values. It doesn't really solve it, it just creates more problems. That covers it up. But what were their core values? I think they had two that stand out to me here. Number one, they, they truly cared about the poor. They loved these women. They wanted them to be, their needs to be met. So whatever solution they came up with, we had to solve the problem. But number two, they were very clear in their calling in life, that their calling was to teach, to preach, to pray for God's direction, to lead well. And they were very clear that they couldn't solve the problem personally. And I'm sure there's lots of people around them that just wanted them to solve the problem personally. There may have been some widows that weren't happy. They weren't solving it. But they said, you know, our job as leaders is not to personally solve the problem. Our job is to make sure the problem is solved. And so they solved it in alignment with their, the, the core values, the love for the widows, but their calling as leaders. And as a result, what happened? The word of God spread and the movement thrived. And as we move into our future here at Rocky Peak, as we wrap up this series, uh, Sent Life on Mission, uh, as we move into our future, uh, this is what I want us to be, a proactive church. I, I want you to be a proactive Christian. I want you to be someone that when there's a problem in your life, you take responsibility. You move towards it. You don't, you don't, you don't live in denial. You don't pretend it's not an issue. You move towards it. When there's a problem in your marriage, you move towards it. You know why? Because if you don't, it will derail you in your life calling. You cannot live life on mission for God if you do not deal with the issues in your life he's given you authority over to deal with. They will derail you. And as a church, our commitment as a leadership team is that we will continue to go forward. We will continue to seek God. And when problems emerge and challenges rise because of growth, which very likely they will, our commitment to you is we'll continue to seek him We'll continue to move towards them rapidly and we'll find the right solution so the kingdom of God can continue to grow and thrive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we're just thankful for 
your word and the wisdom it gives on how to live life. And today we've talked about some pretty important things. And as we bring this series to a close, God, we pray you'd give us the courage as a church in our own lives to move towards issues that are holding us back in our marriages, in our teams, in our ministry teams, in our work, uh, work team, that we would be people that move towards challenges with your help, that we, uh, we, we solve them with your help so that we can stay on track, live life on mission, and the movement of Jesus can go forward. We pray you teach us as a church. We pray as we go into 2016. We pray as we're into a brand new year. We pray as, as we face this year and as you continue to bring people, you'll teach us as a church how to respond to the need for more space and more, more uh, room and more resources and whatever it is in order to take care of the people uh, uh, carefully like these widows that you, you were, that gave the early church. You would, we would take care of those that you're, you're sending our way. And God, we pray that uh, as we uh, approach it, as we move aggressively towards it, the bottom line is we want more honor for your name. We want you to be seen for the God you are. We want people to come to know you, get on their knees, give you their complete life, all they have in an act of worship because that's what it's all about. And we pray that uh, for the sake of your name and for the sake then of these people who will come, for the sake of the world, that you would do that. So as we bring our offerings and as we worship now, we pray you'd meet us in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. For the sake of the world and even more so for the sake of his name, that this world would come to know who he is give them completely their lives for it's what he deserves it's our worship everything we have for the sake of his name for the sake of the world we live we're called to live lives on mission amen, amen. and uh, we don't want to be derailed from that by false expectations or challenges that come and thinking God's not with us God is with us and he will meet us and he will teach us how to overcome these challenges, whether challenges in our own life or in our marriage or home or business or community, whatever it is. And then as a result, we'll stay on track and we'll continue to live life on mission and the word of God will spread and people will come to know Christ and he will receive the honor that he deserves. I want to remind you of a couple things as we wrap up today. First of all, we always have a prayer ministry over here to my far right against the wood walls. Anything in your life you need prayer for, we'd love to pray with you. Have a great prayer team. Secondly, is that next week we kick off this new series on priorities. And uh, I'm really excited about this. I, this is one of those series, as Patrick said, it really it's, it has the potential to change your life. It's going to be eight weeks. I encourage you to be here every week. Uh, keep up. It's, uh, it's one of those that's going to be I think, very powerful and profound. Uh, it's probably going to be different than things you've heard before on priorities. It's not going to be like you know, week one, God, week two, family, week three, you know, work, something like that. We're going to talk about the key activities in our life that we need to make priorities, what we need to pursue, what we, how we need to restore, what we need to design. Uh, we're going to be talking about the things, the pursuits in life that lead these paths that lead to life. And so I hope you can be with us every week. And it's also going to be um, one of those series that's very easy on-ramp for on non-believers because we live in a very frazzled world. Like, we all can relate to this, right? Too many things to do, not enough time to do it. We're not, we have the urgent uh, is, is cramming out the importance. Uh, we're living by default instead of design. Like, we can all relate to that. So this is a great series to invite people to. It's kind of an introduction to Christ and, and coming to, to Rocky Peak just to begin to check out Jesus. And so maybe you know someone that is not a believer or they're kind of a de-churched. You know, they were once in church, but they're no longer in church or whatever. A great series. And so I encourage you, carry a couple of these. We've got more of them out on the patio. Carry a couple of them with you this week and just pray that if God wants to invite someone, he will. 
and that you will do that. So until next week, may you live a life of overcoming. May you meet the challenges in your life head on. May you bring them to God and ask for direction and how to, how to overcome them. But don't ask God to do it for you. Ask him to empower you to do what he's commissioned you to do. To lead well, starting with yourself, your family, your job, your career, your ministry here at Rocky Peak, your life group or whatever. And may in the process, may the word of God spread in your life and you richly grow and others come to know Christ and we together would live life on mission. Amen? Amen. I'll be up here afterwards if you want to talk. I'll see you later.